G'day, we're the Bartlett's. We're so glad that you could join us this morning for church. Uh, today we're going to be hearing from one of our link missionaries, Shane Sparks, on the next instalment in our series on 1 Peter. We'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 to 6. Uh, we're going to hear from Gemma uh, a couple of thoughts about that she has from a book that she's recently read. And we're going to do some singing together and we're going to do some praying together as well. Drawing the sentence today, Tom and I are going to be drawing some pictures about following Jesus. Okay. We would love it if you could do a drawing too and up down and upload it to to um show us and maybe you could put an emoji there. So as we start our service this morning, let's pray and ask for God's help. We're going to pray. Dear God, thanks for church. We pray that this morning we'd all have a great time together learning from your word. Amen. Amen. Hi everyone, it's May 2020. 11 weeks and a little bit since we were first quarantined and uh, we just wanted to do a video newsletter for you to let you know how we're doing. Uh, we read in the Bible this morning where Paul writes to the Colossians about Tychius and he says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. So part of the way that we want to live that out is to do that with a newsletter. Uh, I've been encouraged recently in Isaiah 40 to 55, reading through that several times about how God is the only God and the idols that exist are things that we set up and that we give power to in our lives, but he's the only true God, the only one that truly has any power and how he constantly invites us and beckons us uh, to enjoy him and have a relationship with him and how he provided that through the servant. Hi, Ruth. Hi. Hi guys, it's been really lovely around here to be able to get out and I've been enjoying doing some running with a friend, so that's been great and the spring weather is beautiful. And is there anything that's been encouraging you as you read through the Bible? Yes, this last week uh, I was super encouraged looking at Psalm 119 and looking at the Word of God and then thinking about Jesus as being the Word of God and seeing Jesus all through Psalm 119 has been awesome. Hey. Okay. Um, well, this quarantine has been quite long, and um, I recently have been enjoying going out um, bike riding. And have you been encouraged by anything you've read recently? Well, um, I just finished Luke, and um, I was really encouraged at how patient um, Jesus was. Hey, Joel. Hey, Jolie. Hi. Hi. Hi guys, hopefully you're going well. Um, I am, and today, now it's Saturday, and roughly the middle of the weekend, and I'm, a, I'm enjoying being able to go outside and play football. Cool, Joel. Um, have you been encouraged by anything you've read recently in the Bible? Yes. What stood out to me was that after the the Moses' people, after Moses, got freed from the Egyptians of sort of slavery, um, they went into the desert and they they worshipped the God. But then after a few years, they worshipped idols. And then God always had one person to take to drive them back to God. 
And then that happened a few times, and that's what stood out to me. It's really cool. Hi, Finn. Hi, guys. Hey, Finn. Hey, Finn. I've been enjoying being with my friends outside and riding bikes. Cool, Finn. Um, has anything encouraged you that you've read in the Bible recently? Well, yeah, that God's love doesn't change depending how we behave. And what about you guys? We would love to hear. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.
Hello, my name is Marguerite and I attend the 10.45am service. We are going to spend some time in prayer, in praise, confession, thanksgiving and bringing our requests to God. We will conclude with the Lord's Prayer. So would you now please pray with me? Father, you are the creator of all things, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Father, shepherd, servant, brother, priest and king, whose love poured out men's broken hearts, whose wounded hands reach out to all, whose spirit waits to enter in. You are everything that we desire. Be with us now. Bless us that we might be a blessing to others. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we confess we have gone our own way, not loving you as we ought, nor loving our neighbours as ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, and in what we have failed to do. We deserve your condemnation. Father, forgive us. Help us to love you and our neighbours and to live for your honour and glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord, too often our prayers are filled with impatience over what we want instead of gratitude for what we already have. Remind us today what is truly important. Remind us to give thanks for family and friends. Remind us to be grateful for the work you have given us. Remind us to appreciate our many material blessings. Most of all, remind us today and every day to give thanks for your precious Son, Jesus, and the sacrifice he has made for us, to give us eternal life with you in heaven. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, who reached across the ethnic boundaries between Samaritan, Roman and Jew, who offered fresh sight to the blind and freedom to captives, help us to break down the barriers in our nation and worldwide community. Enable us to see the reality of racism and inequality and free us to challenge and uproot it from ourselves, our society and our world. Amen. Father, as we continue to live in this time of responding to the pandemic of COVID-19, we come asking for strength and grace. It has not been easy for us to live in a state of physical distancing. We cannot greet friends and loved ones as we used to. We cannot offer an embrace to comfort, a handshake to greet, a pat on the shoulder to encourage. To keep ourselves and each other safe, we must keep apart. Lord, we are unable to greet our elderly and seniors as we used to because we need to keep them safe. Give to us the love to serve those who are vulnerable. Give to us the grace as we trial new ways to be social, even as we keep our distance. We pray for the medical professionals who continue to work for our health. Give to them the strength and energy they need to do their work. We pray for those who are COVID-19 positive. Give to them the opportunity to know your peace and that you are with them. Calm their anxiety. Comfort them in their distress. Father, we sense that this will be a marathon. Remind us that we are not alone and that you have promised to provide the things we need. So we run with perseverance, mindful that you are with us each day. Amen.
Father, we pray all these prayers in the name of your Son, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. With confidence, let's pray our family prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Hi, I'm Gemma and I'm reviewing this book called Gospel-Centred Family. When I first began reading parenting books about 10 years ago, I did a lot of thinking about how the Bible should fit into my thinking as a parent. As I've grown as a parent and read a lot more books, uh, I've realised that I got the focus wrong. It's not about how the Gospel fits into Christian family life, but how family life should fit into the Gospel which is God's greatest purpose for our world. This book reminded me that good parenting is not about adopting certain techniques, but rather about living as part of God's story and letting God's good news shape our values and our attitudes and our behaviour as a family. This book has that kind of gospel focus. It has 12 succinct chapters, which are easily read before you fall asleep from a long day of raising little people. And it begins with a principle and then has a short Bible focus and a passage, uh, some questions on that passage, some fleshing out of the principle and some questions for reflection and ideas for action. The chapters that I found the most poignant uh, were chapters three, four and five, uh, which have to do with discipline and grace. Some of the most helpful things that the book has to say is about grace for our hearts as parents and grace for our children's hearts. Um, and it talks about addressing the heart matters uh, more than controlling behaviour. I'm often too quick to forget this and it was a really helpful reminder for me that God's agenda for our kids' hearts and for my heart is a child who delights to serve him and know him. The thing I liked most about this book is that it poses really great questions. Often when I've read a good book, I don't really remember the statements that it makes, but I often remember the questions that it posed. So here are some of the questions that I liked pondering. How are we influencing our children's hearts? What traditions are we creating with our family? Do my children see my faith in action from day to day? What sort of things do you pray for as a family? How can your church family be partners with you in raising your children? I would recommend this book to parents um, of small children and teenage children, and I'm really happy to lend you my coffee if you'd like to borrow it. Good morning, this is Chris Lukey. The Bible reading for today continues in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, reading from verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. 
for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Hey, Shalhaba. What a great privilege it is to be here with you on this Sunday, even though it's virtual, to be able to share uh, this series that you're doing here in 1 Peter. Love and greetings from all of us here on the opposite side of the world. And uh, we trust that you're doing well, that you're enduring this unique time well. I think this is a great letter for us to look at as, as we consider what it's like to live as believers in a world like the one that we're living in now. This letter opens with, with Peter uh, saying to the, to the churches in the five provinces, uh, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout the five provinces who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and for, this is the goal, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. What a great letter to be looking at. Now, when, when we get to chapter 4 of, of this letter, we, we see that it's, Peter's dealing with the end of sin. And we're going to look at three ends. He's, he's looking at the death of sin, and there are three ends in this passage. The end of sin in the flesh. The end of those who continue in sin. And also the third part is the end of those who end with sin. So firstly, in these first three verses, we see the end of sin in the flesh. And it opens with therefore. Now as a new believer, a friend of mine taught me the tool of asking the passage, what is the therefore, therefore? And we're going to ask that. Peter has been addressing the value of suffering in these early chapters and, and right throughout the letter. And he's already shown us in 2 verses 22 to 23 how Jesus suffered. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. He did not retaliate. He made no threats. Instead... He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And why? Verse 24. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And then in chapter 3, verse 18, we see, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And so we carry all that understanding of what Peter's already written into chapter 4, verse 1, and the therefore of chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered, all that we've just read about his suffering in his body, is done with sin. Now, it's not talking as much about us as it is talking about Jesus in us. He is the sufferer who entrusts himself to God, who bore our sins, who was wounded, who died, who finished with sins. 
freeing us to live for righteousness, as we read in chapter 2, verses 24, to bring us to God, as we read in chapter 3, verse 18, and to follow the instruction that we have here in chapter 4, verse 1, to arm ourselves with the same resolve, the same attitude as it writes here in the NIV. Now, we're meant, with this image of arm yourselves, we're meant to think of a military scene, now it's been sprinkled through the letter too, with mentions of preparing oneself for actions, sin which wage war against our souls in chapter 2, the authority of Jesus and the submission of angels and authorities and rule and powers in, at the end of chapter 3. It's all militant in nature. And so we're meant to arm ourselves for a battle. Now for my 40th birthday party, Ruth organised a surprise birthday party. I love surprises. It turned out well. She gathered a few of my closest friends and sent us off to kill each other with paintballs. Now, if you've ever done this, you, you know you arrive and they give you the safety talk and then you give the we are not responsible, the we are free from indemnity talk. And then they hand you the protective gear and the paintball gun. Now, apart from a few fist fights at school, this is the closest that I've ever come to any form of physical warfare. And um, so you dress up, you turn the collar up because you don't want to get those paintballs on your bare skin, especially on your neck, because not only does it hurt, but it also looks quite suspicious. And, uh, and, and, so you, and then you arm yourself with your gun and you take all your ammunition that you've chosen to afford, which always seems a little bit too little once things start, and then you go out and you try and shoot one another. Now, I've played paintball a few times now, two or three times now, and every time it strikes me how low my potential for survival would be in a real war. Now, there comes a time in the game as well when that birthday boy or the buck on a buck's night or, or whoever they're trying to single out uh, is targeting in a game where everyone shoots at this one person, this unarmed victim. And so if, and, and, and it's so much fun for everyone else. And now if you if there's very little chance of your survival when you when you are armed, there's no chance of survival when you're not armed. And so Peter says, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves with the same resolve, the same decision, the same determination, the same attitude. He means to have a wartime mentality by being sober-minded and hoping on the grace that's yet to come, as it says in in, in chapter 1, verse 13. By abstaining from that which wages war against our souls, which it says in chapter 2, verse 11. And by choosing and depending on Christ's suffering for us in chapter 3. We're engaged in war. Don't pretend it's not happening. Arm yourselves with this resolve, or to put it in terms that are more normal. Believe it, as chapter 2 constantly reminds us to do. Now, belief is the response that the gospel asks us for when, when someone's accepting Christ's suffering for themselves for the first time. And if that's you, you're going to want to do that, as you'll see in the coming verses. But belief is also something that the gospel continues to invite us to in ever-increasing ways because there are areas of our life that remain unsurrendered, areas of our lives that we haven't entrusted to God yet, and that can cause spiritual dryness. And it can cause self-deception. And it can cause internal conflicts. And what Peter is trying to eradicate here is the idolatry in our lives. Now, idolatry is setting up dependencies or structures to compensate for those areas where we believe Jesus and his suffering is inadequate or impotent to help us. That's what it is at its heart. 
even though we don't think about it that way naturally. And so Peter calls us to arms, to believe in Jesus alone, verse, as verse 3 shows us. And then he lists out these things, sensualities, lust, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and unacceptable idolatries. It's a list of ever increasingly delivering oneself over to the other side. Sensualities are those things that we go to privately to stimulate our senses. They're not all necessarily bad at the beginning. What we choose to watch, watch or how much food or drink we choose to put in our mouths, how we choose to use our bodies. And then lust takes it a step further in being drawn after these sensualities. And by the time we get to orgies and drinking parties in the list, those private actions which reveal our heart's orientation, our heart's north, are now interlinked with other people in evil ways. And the final item on this list are idolatries. And so while orgies and drinking parties give our bodies over to be shared in shameful acts with others, idolatry completely surrenders our soul in complete bondage to the other side of this warfare. Who do you look to for protection? How are you pursuing prosperity or fruitfulness? What would you sacrifice for stability and security or to no longer fear or to obtain victory in some area? In what or in whom do you seek pleasure? Who or what words have you allowed to define who you are and, and how you behave? Because these are all idolatrous patterns and schemes and each one of us has a mix of them warring inside of us. And Peter says, arm yourselves with the belief that Jesus' suffering is enough to protect, to bring prosperity and security and, and victory and pleasure and bestow on, your, bestow on you your true God-given identity. Perhaps you should take some time today or this week to ask God to identify areas of idolatry according to this list that we've just listed out in your life so that you can confess them to him so that you can renounce them before him, and so that you're free to embrace him and take pleasure in his will as your will is transformed into a, into a more completely godly will. That's what verse 2 is talking about. Evil human desires are the desires that are not conformed to the will of God. They're opposed to it. And the one who's done with sin through belief in Jesus' suffering no longer lives for those desires. It's not that you may never slip. It's not that you may never fall hard. But as, the, as your will is conformed to his, you begin to delight in these new things, these new desires over the old ones that you used to depend on and go to. And however long we spent living according to human desires, Peter says it's been enough. It's long enough. You're done with those things. You don't have to live there any longer. In Christ, we're freed up to live for God's will. We're freed up to arm ourselves with the resolve, the belief that Christ's suffering is enough for every problem, for every solution, for every pleasure that we would want to go after in a true sense. We don't have to and we shouldn't depend on anything else. There's nothing and there's no one else who has done with sin. He's it. So don't try and white-knuckle it until sin dies. It won't happen. Don't rely on others or on other things. If you try, you'll die. 
And the end of sin in the flesh is through arming ourselves with the belief that Christ has suffered and died and that our unity with him is a sin-freeing unity that leads us along the path of righteousness and brings us salvation. Now we know that this process doesn't happen in isolation, doesn't happen without others around us and without others witnessing our lives. And, and we've just seen the end uh, to sin in the flesh in verses 1 to 3. And now in verses 4 to 5, Peter reveals the end for those who continue in sin. So I've just been contacted this week by one of my friends in this disciple-making movements network that we've got throughout Spain from Madrid. And he's asked me to coach a young North African imam who now lives in Spain. This imam wanted to know what the Bible said, and so he picked up the word and he started to read it and he was converted amazingly, miraculously. The word did its work in him and he started to share with those in his mosque about what he was learning, about what he was discovering. And, and they, they, they reacted so forcefully against him that they didn't just drive him out of the mosque, but they drove him out of the country and he found himself in Spain. And now even the local imams are watching him and they're preaching against the work that he's doing by handing out food in a local food bank. Now Peter has been encouraging us to do good throughout this letter in order to silence the accusations against us, in order to shame those who accuse us, in order to win them over to Jesus. And here there's a slight difference because, because he's not asking us to, to do good, to shame them. Our time doing what they do is up. The problem is that we did it with them and they saw us and now that we're not doing those things, they just don't understand. They have no way to understand what's happened and the change that's happened. In us, they're surprised, it says here, bewildered be, that we don't dive back into this flooding river of wickedness with them, and it causes this reaction in them. And do you see it at the end of verse 4 there? They heap abuse on you. They vilify you. They malign you. The very fact that you stop doing what they consider to be sucking the marrow out of life provokes a reaction of their conscience. At its root, it's an inferiority complex. Do you remember the reaction against that first person of your group of friends at school that left the group of friends to go off and spend time with their new boyfriend or girlfriend? Or can you imagine a situation in a team where one player excels far beyond the others and he's not rejected? If what I consider to be life isn't what you consider isn't what you continue to choose for life, it shakes me at my foundations because I don't have it and I can't understand it. And the tall poppy syndrome is, is, is a type, a variety of this same scenario. And what do we do when we feel attacked? Well, we retaliate. And so they heap abuse on us. They vilify us. They malign us. And whether it's the partiers that this passage seems to be uh, painting the picture of, or whether it's the religious imams, they will not get away with that abuse against us. They won't have the last word. That's not how the story ends. Because when Jesus returns, he'll be judging everyone. Those billions who have passed since the creation of the world and the billions who will be on the earth when he returns. That's what verse 5 and the judging of the living and the dead means. All of us. And he's ready to judge us because he has finished with sin. Now that... Idea might not seem important to you in your context, but in the context where you've witnessed the death of other believers at the hands of attackers, the fact that that's not how the story ends is a pretty important factor. Now I'm glad our passage doesn't finish there today because that would be a pretty low point to finish on. 
and uncertain judgment is completely void of hope. And if this salvation thing depends on me and my performance, then I have to earn God's favour or outweigh the bad with the good. And then on the last day, there'll be some judge which comes and tells me whether I've done enough. What a hopeless existence. But it doesn't end that way, does it? There's an end to sin in the flesh. There's an end for those who continue with sin. And there's an end in verse 6 for those who end with sin. And it's sure because, verse 6, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Now I want to highlight two points here. The first is that we will be judged. And I think as Christians, sometimes we believe that we're going to get this letter of exemption for the great courtroom on the last day, as if it were some jury duty exception or something similar. But that's not what we read in the Bible. We will all stand before the judge. The books will be opened and they will be judged according to what we have done. Our works will be laid bare. And if Adam and Eve's all-consuming, overwhelming, shameful response before the holy God that they, that they were naked before moments earlier, that they knew so personally and intimately, if that's anything to go by, I think it's probably going to be the hardest day we will ever experience. And if it were not for the advocate who is finished with sin and is at our side and offers himself up as the one who has fulfilled the sentence we deserve, then we would not only be sentenced, but we would be condemned to serve that sentence too. But because of him, we will be released and it will be this glorious day, finally, to be free from that sin, to be free from all the fig leaf-like coverings that we have inadvertently created to protect ourselves against shame, the shame of seeing ourselves, the shame of others seeing us, the shame of God seeing us how we are. And to be able to relate to him for the first time, completely exposed and yet safe. And that's the second thing I want to highlight. That though there will be a judgment in regard to the body for everyone, we have the chance to live spiritually toward God right now. As well as, as enjoy Jesus' advocacy and what that means for us eternally. That is why the gospel was preached. So that we might live to God. And I don't think the, the, the phrase here that preached even to those who are now dead is trying to link back to 3.19 the spirits in prison. I think instead it's answering the question of what happened to those who received the gospel but suffered and died before Peter writes his letter. They didn't see vindication, they saw death instead. And the, the gospel expectation which they, were, which they received was one of salvation, so how were they to understand it? Does it mean, on the one hand, that they weren't Christians, really? Or does it mean, on the other, that the gospel is not true? And they are logical conclusions under these circumstances because remember, this is the first generation of believers. They had to theologize about it and you'll see some more practical outworking of that throughout this letter as you continue in it. They had to wrestle with why Jesus had not returned, with how they were meant to live in the meantime, with, with what physical death meant after receiving the gospel. They had to reconcile these seemingly contradictory truths and experiences. And so Peter assures them that the judge of the living and the dead also has a gospel which is bigger than physical death. It's spiritual and it's life. And this life is oriented towards God who is the author and source of life, of all life. And it's as if Peter was saying to them, don't worry about those who have passed. Don't worry about their assurance. All of them are assured of their judgment day, just as we are. 
And all of them are assured of their spiritual life, their communion with God, just as we are. That's assurance right there. That's the end for those who end with sin. And that's why the gospel was preached to us, and that's why it must continue to be preached. So what is it that slows you or stops you from doing it? It's not easy, I get it. After 13 years here, I'm still plagued by the fear that my accent is somehow going to prejudice Jesus. It's a ridiculous fear that doesn't make sense for a variety of reasons, but it's present with me in different moments and to differing degrees. But think about it this way for a moment. What if the, your main reasons for, for not preaching the gospel were accepted or, or were, were used by those who preached the gospel to you and you didn't hear it? Where would you be right now? What would you be doing? And what could you expect on that last day? We're talking about eternal judgment. This is it's no small deal. But we did have it preached to us. And we can preach it to others. But we had it preached to us so that they will be judged according to the body. We can live spiritually towards God now and always in increasingly delightful ways as we wait for our glorification and our full relational experience of our Heavenly Father, of our Saviour and Brother Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit. Who knows how we're going to experience the Holy Spirit after Judgment Day and our glorification? whether we're alive when he returns or whether we're dead long past. Now we started with Peter's introduction to the letter which has as a goal our obedience to Jesus and being sprinkled with his blood. Now if we're going to take on this, take, take it on, then we also need to take on this wartime mentality. Arm yourselves with this resolve that you're going to rid yourself of all forms of idolatry, that you're going to identify them and eradicate them, see them, see them ripped away by Jesus and replaced with a confidence and a faith and a belief in him and depend on his suffering to end with sin in you so that you can be free and transformed to prefer the will of God. You will not find true help, hope elsewhere and there is no true life elsewhere. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our life. And Jesus has given us the way, as we've read here today, to be able to walk in that road of righteousness. God bless you all. Thanks so much for joining us for church this morning. We hope and pray that as you've heard the word of God proclaimed, that he's helped you to understand something new this morning. We would, we would don't forget to... Upload a picture and and put a emoji there in the comment section. And don't forget, Jesus is like is our treasure. And as you go into your week, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, Amen. Treasure.